Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hi, everybody. Welcome once again to Grace to All with Paul Gray, and this is our second edition of being together with my friend, Dr. Boyd Purcell. I call him a friend because we are friends. We just haven't been friends for very long because uh, today's really the, the second time that we've talked together in person, or not in person, but via the internet. And uh, But I feel like I know him because I've been reading and studying his books and uh, hearing stories about his life and his kids and his grandkids and his background and different things for quite a while. So welcome back, Dr. Boyd Purcell. Thank you, Paul. It's good to be back. Thank you. And I won't give your uh, introduction again because uh, I know people heard it last week or they're going to be so excited by hearing you today that if they didn't hear last week, they'll go back and listen or maybe listen again. We've been talking about some different things about hell and, and about the oh, Luke 15, uh, uh, at least my understanding of Jesus' clearest teaching on hell was where the elder brother was in his mind. And you, at least the only time I've ever heard it, is the term called elder brotheritis that I heard from you. So if you would, just go ahead and tell us about the words that were used for hell, why they were mistranslated, and what we need to know about that today. Those are really good questions, and uh, why they were translated as they are with the King James, and the King James is probably the best read Bible, and sometimes the only Bible read by Christopher Memorist. And I was given a King James Version of the Bible at age 12, his birthday present, and told only and forever use the King James, <laughs> because in the last days, they, although they never said who they were, but they will change the Bible. So many people believe that, to grow up on that, and they won't even read another Bible. It may be a heresy that they're reading instead of the true gospel that King James translated. And like people know, King James is not an evangelical Christian, except evangelicals are good Christians. But he was the king of England, as people probably know. But he was only interested in one thing, that was holding on to his power. And having absolute control over people, he had absolute control of life and death over people, in order of execution, whatever. So his mother was Bloody Mary, Queen of Scots, and she killed people who disagreed with her. That's why she had the name Bloody Mary. So uh, King James did the same. So he was not interested in people's spiritual life and translating the King James. He went and had one version of the Bible that be read throughout the whole British Empire, and that's what he got for a long time. And uh, for whatever reason, they chose to indiscriminately translate three words, Greek words. One is Gehenna, one is Hades, and the other is Sheol, that's a Hebrew word in the Old Testament, as hell. Now, most modern translations either translate those words as Gehenna, Hades, or Sheol, or if they use hell, and sometimes they still retain hell for Gehenna and translate Hades and Sheol, uh, literally, in Greek or Hebrew. But uh, if they uh, do use hell, then they may give a footnote 
to say what the actual word is in Hebrew or in Greek. King James did use that. And then there's one other one in Peter. He talks about uh, Jesus descending down to the lower parts of the earth. And the word is used there is Tartarus. Now, Tartarus was one of seven levels of Hades. And Tartarus was actually the lowest level of Hades, where the worst people went. And when Jesus descended into Hades, hell, he didn't stop at the first or second or third level. He went all the way down to Taurus and led captivity captive. So he destroyed it in that sense. And then Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, 18, I'll build my church in the gates of Hades, hell, shall not prevail against it. Now, that's many people the question. What was Jesus talking about here, and what's on the offense and what's on the defense? Is hell or the church on the defense? And almost everyone says, including the clergy, well, hell is on the offense, church is on the defense. And we could say, like Martin Luther's great song, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper, he amid the flood, mortal ills prevailing. So a mighty fortress is our God. Or church is a mighty fortress. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So this is a war metaphor. In the ancient world, uh, every city of any single size had a wall built around it, high and wide. And when any enemy army approached, they would close the gates. They always had gates to close and barricade. Then they would defend themselves against the enemy. So for an army, to take a large city, they would need to besiege it for months, sometimes years, or even a decade or longer, to be able to weaken it enough to bring in the battering ram, ram down the gates. Exactly what Jesus is saying, the gates of hell, not the gates of the church, but the gates of Hades, shall not prevail against the church as a battering ram. And when people have seen that, they say, oh my goodness, I never saw that before. That changes everything. that phrase you just used i used in my books that i've written that changes everything and uh guys when when we see (laughs) when we see the truth that was right before our eyes that even that we'd read many times in scripture and we i'm getting goosebumps as i just talk about this when we see the truth well, that changes everything, doesn't it? And at least for me, there's no going back. Once the Holy Spirit has revealed something to you, has shown you the truth of what really is, all the academics in the world can't convince you of something differently because you've experienced that. You've heard it from God, and uh, you know it's true. You have that confident assurance that it's true, which seems like if we're open to that, we keep getting more revelation of that every day. Well, yes, we live up to the truth we have, you will receive more light from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. If you reject the light they have, then they probably won't get more. Yeah. So you did a little summary of your uh, tulips with an S on it. You also changed a little bit of some of the wording of the actual tulip. Would you mind taking the time and going through that and just to share that with folks? Sure, I'll be glad to do that. I first used the tulip, and this is a traditional Calvinist tulip. I did not come up with this. This was in the 17th century. You weren't around then? (laughs) But uh, uh, Arminius was a theologian. It was uh, after Calvin. And he came up with his uh, Arminianism, which I've said the basic focus of Arminianism is on God's God's free will. 
Well, Calvinism is focused on God's sovereignty. Now, briefly, with the TULIP, uh, T-U-L-I-P, the T stands for total depravity. Now, that's pretty negative to begin with, that man is so totally depraved that we cannot even reason properly. We can't even ask God for forgiveness of our sins unless God grants us the ability to ask for forgiveness. I took Dr. D. James Kennedy's uh, Inventions and Explosion course, and of course, he's a five-point Calvinist. And before you pray somebody, if you talk with the person and they realize they're a sinner, they're ready to pray, they ask that God to forgive them and accept Christ in their heart. And you say, well, wait a minute. Let me pray for you for God to grant you repentance so you'll be able to pray the right kind of prayer and mean it so you can get, be saved. Although you're already saved because you're actually in the elect if you end up getting saved. So it's crazy. But uh, anyway, the U stands for unconditional election. But it's only unconditional election for a few not for everyone. And then the L is limited atonement, but again, only for the elect, not for everyone. And irresistible grace is the I. And that's only for the few elect. So if you're in the elect, everything's really great. Yeah. Right? Because with the, the perseverance of the same means you cannot lose your salvation. Whatever you do, you can live like the devil and still be saved and not lose your salvation if you are in the elect. But with the, quickly, the opposite of that, the Arminian position is with, with the T, they believe in partial depravity, not total depravity. So all are capable of believing theoretically, but few are still going to believe. And then the U for unconditional election is conditional election. You are elected by believing. And then the L is for uh, limited atonement is unlimited atonement, but still few are saved. Irresistible grace becomes resistible grace, which may be resisted forever. And with perseverance of the saints, no, uh, salvation is not assured and you can lose your salvation. Now, with the rewording of that for the tulip, not only do I put an S on the tulip, but I recharacterize each one of the letters. For example, total depravity becomes total love. Paul, isn't it better to emphasize God's grace and God's love, unconditional, all-inclusive, everlasting love, total love rather than total depravity of man? Because uh, God's all-inclusive, unconditional, everlasting love saves all. So with the EU unconditional election, it's for all or the helpers to save all. Now, the great uh, theologian, George MacDonald, has also written a lot of books, maybe 50 or more. Uh, he said that the helpers, the, the elect, are God's helpers whom God has sovereignly chosen to help bring about the salvation of all people. So I don't know whether everyone's elect or if there's some people elect, but if so, it's only to bring about the salvation of all people. So it's a very positive thing either way. And then L is for the Lamb of God, not limited atonement. The Lamb of God, who does what? He takes away the sin of the world. And notice it's not the sins of the world, the singular, the sin, the collective sin of the world that the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, takes away. Isn't that a beautiful thing? When John looked and saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold yeah. the Lamb of God, who yeah. takes away the sin of the world. Well, let me just stop you for a minute. If Jesus took away the sin of the world, then what would we be punished for? Well, we, we won't be. <laughs> and in fact, something even deeper here is everyone's already saved. Yes. Well, you have to get out there and try to get people saved before it's eternally too late, and God yeah. will not damn them to hell forever. Yeah. On the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, when the plan of salvation was complete for all time, past, present, and future. So, uh, as some great theologian has said, the great German Swiss theologian, uh, Karl Barth, 
said that salvation Christianity today, evangelism, is not getting people saved, but announcing the good news to them that they have been saved. Yeah. They can enjoy their salvation and share that good news with others. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting you there. I couldn't contain myself. <laughs> well, uh, it's a lot to be excited about. The I in the tulip redefined is infinite grace, mercy, patience. I have a slash between two of those. Infinite grace, mercy, patience of God is why God will not and cannot ever fail. Because I've said this isn't rocket science as far as getting people saved. God only has to do two things in order to win the cosmic war between good and evil and save every person without violating anyone's free will. Those two things are, number one, is love unconditionally. And number two is be patient. God is eternal. Mm-hmm. God is in a big hurry to go someplace. God isn't going anywhere. His patience endures forever. Well, we're told that, in fact, in First uh, Corinthians, the 13th chapter, the love chapter, yeah. we're told some things about God's love, that God is love. So it says that agape is God's divine love, that it is patient. The very first thing Paul said, yeah. agape is patient. So yeah. that's, what, that's what we need to know about God. Sure. Give up on anyone. No, it also, it also says he keeps no record of wrongs. Absolutely. <laughs> and he does not insist on his own way. <laughs> and God believes all things. He endures all things. He hopes all yeah. things. And yeah. love never fails. And if love doesn't fail, God doesn't fail. And right. therefore, God will not fail to destroy evil and reconcile the cosmos to God's loving self. Seems so simple, doesn't it? It is. And so it's, it's so messed up and so confused and Really, why well, we have a lot of atheist agnostics because people say that doesn't make sense. And I, one person read my book, Spiritual Terrorism, who uh, works for End of Life Care in West Virginia. And he is an atheist by profession. And he read the book and he wrote a five star review for it, posted on Amazon, and said, Even atheists will like this book. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when atheists told me they don't believe in God, I say, Well, that's okay. God believes in you. Yeah. And then you, like me, call. God, Papa, for the in the last letter of P, which I think Jesus came to reveal that God is a good Papa. Right. So Jesus, who spoke Aramaic, called God Abba, which means Papa, very loving, affectionate term. And so rather than personal science with this tool, I have Papa God. Our loving Heavenly Father will surely become all in all. What does that mean? First Corinthians 15, we're told that first of all, this 22nd verse, that as all died in Adam, all will live in Christ. That's a perfect parallel. And then Jesus will live a kingdom up to God when he has gone all to himself, according to John 12, 32. And that God may be all in all. And I like the translation yeah. of that in the Revised Standard Version. It says that God may be everything to everyone. Yeah. I'll never forget, boy, the first time I explained that to uh, someone very near and dear to me who's is a five-point Calvinist, and they said, well, yes, but we know all doesn't mean all. And, I've, I've, and I, of course, I've heard that since then, and I'm just going, oh, man. <laughs> right. Well, all means all, according to Thomas in Romans 3.23, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah. But when it says that all of sin, that, that's 100%. But when, and I say, well, what about all dying atoms? Oh, yes, that's 100%. But all live in Christ? No, that's maybe only 10% or less. Yeah. No, and of course, Romans 3.24, which is never quoted, is all have been made righteous. <laughs> Romans 5.18. Yeah. One man's rights, uh, 
condemnation, uh, unrighteous condemnation number on all men. And by yeah. one's man righteousness, Lord Jesus Christ, there is salvation for all people. Yeah. Oh, it seems so uh, clear. And it is clear. But, uh, really, that's a true gospel. So one last thing that the S on the tilt, as I mentioned, is symbolic fire, salt and sulfur, but a slice between each of those. Those are mixed metaphors that uh, symbolize disinfection, healing, purifying from sin. So how much clearer could that be? Yeah. And the, the whole understanding of sulfur, uh, which you write about so well, was, was used for purifying and uh, for cleansing in a number of different ways, medicinally, in Jesus day and age and uh, still is it's not what we were taught it uh, was well again we go back to King James which says fire and brimstone like Revelation 20 Revelation and so I've asked people again you know pastors the clergy and the clergy and lay people you've heard like brimstone and I've served this many times with hospice patients who are elderly people that tried being Christian their whole life they still afraid they're going to hell then we get burned out like the fire and brimstone forever and I said well you know what the word brimstone means not one time did anybody know what brimstone meant. Hundreds of people, and this includes clergy. And I said, well, uh, according to Webster's Dictionary, and I had to look this up about the time 45 when I finally figured this out. And I looked in my uh, Webster's Dictionary and it said that brimstone is an archaic or outdated word for sulfur. And I thought, wow. Then I thought about, well, what would that symbolize? And then I went to my Bible dictionary and found out what sulfur is known for in the ancient world. And it was known for its uh, disinfection properties, its fumigation properties. If someone had died in a home of infectious disease, they burned sulfur to disinfect the house. They lysomized other vermin, they burned sulfur to disinfest the house. They used sulfur to suffer the produce, to preserve it, to kill bacteria. And when I shared this with... Um, my mother, uh, she's 75 years old at the time, and she had said she didn't know what to believe, and I come to share leaving universal salvation. But uh, she, uh, I told her about brimstone being sulfur because she'd not heard that. And she said, well, that makes sense to me. I said, well, really, Mom, what does that make sense to you? And she said, well, I remember helping your dad, my grandfather, sulfur apples when she's a young girl. And I said, well, Mom, I never heard of sulfuring apples. Have you heard of sulfuring apples, Paul? No. Okay. No. Learn something here. So she said uh, that you do that to preserve. So that, wouldn't that leave an awful aftertaste? I remember in uh, high school chemistry class, how bad burning sulfur smell. No wonder it's a fumigant because it smells really bad. Uh, so she said, no. Uh, she said, you do it to sulfur the apples to kill the plant uh, disease, bacteria, and so on, to preserve them. You slice up the apples and then you put them in a big pot and you scallop out a place in the center and you set in a sulfur pot and you have to get out of the building, you set the sulfur pot ablaze, ignite it and they get out of the outbuilding because you'll get fumigated if you don't. But uh, she said that it doesn't leave a bad aftertaste. In fact, she said the apples are delicious and you can preserve them all winter that way. And she said that makes perfect sense as far as the spiritual application of a lake and burning sulfur. And, wow. I, and very interestingly, the word for sulfur is theon, the identical word for divine. So this is a divine like of purification. Yeah, you've written about that. Oh, man. You know, thinking about the King James and fire and, and brimstone, the, I remember uh, arguing uh, w- with somebody one time. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, the more I understand about grace, the less uh, argumentative I, I get. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, we were—and— and, uh, 
I said, what? You know, have you never studied the Greek? Do you not know what these words mean? And the person said, I don't care about the Greek. All I care about is the King James. And if it if it says, and I, I'm going, well, how do, how do I argue with that? And the Lord was sort of saying to me with a twinkle in his eye, I think, don't argue, Paul. I, I know, leave 30 me. years ago, I received a call from the evangelical pastor. He wanted me to contribute to a fund to translate the King James Version from English into uh, Russian. And I said, why? I knew why he was talking about it, because the King James is the only infallible translation of the Bible. They're talking about King James people who actually believe it's an infallible translation. And I said, you realize what a mess that would be? You always <laughs> want to go from the target language into the language you translate from. That would be the target language the one you're translating to. And um, he said, uh, no, uh, the, the King James is an infallible translation, so it would make a good deal. And I said, well, the King James was translated first into Greek to Latin, and then Latin to uh, King James English. And I said, then you go from King James into Russian? I said, that'd be a terrible mess of people, but obviously I didn't contribute to the project. <laughs> I read something the other day that said, uh, can you imagine the head of a country like the United States hiring 70 Bible translators and paying them to translate the Bible the way you wanted it to be, and then calling it infallible. Well, that's what King James did. It is. And the translator is very concerned about not offending the king. Yeah. yeah. He them as translators or even had them execute. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, our time is up again, Dr. Purcell. I, uh, hopefully you have time to do one more short interview and, and we'll sign off today and then we'll finish uh, some things up with some more questions that I have for you. And uh, this this has been, again, so good for me and I know it is for our listeners. And so before uh, we finish again, but tell people where they can get your books and how they can connect with you. Well, the book Spiritual Terrorism and uh, Christianity Without Understanding are on Amazon. You can read the reviews there and see what people say and some people say that their life has been transformed by having read one or both books. And then uh, you could get them at other online sellers or at local books. Perhaps you could order them for you if uh, you choose to do so. And then you can also email me at drboydpurcell at gmail.com. And I'll be glad to send information, things we've talked about, acrostics, and other things I've developed number of documents that I think are very instructive and very liberating and uh, good news that people would like to have and to share. Well, they, they are instructive and liberating. And I, I thank you for being accessible and being willing to share those with people. I've been uh, accused and accused in lieu of other people, uh, too, saying, well, you guys that teach grace, you just do it for the money. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, if, if you only knew. And uh, the people that I know that know grace and unconditional love uh, are more willing to give their things away. <laughs> it's cost me a lot more than I've made. I'm not sharing the good news. It's cost me dearly. Yeah, me too. Probably at least a quarter million dollars in lost income, forced retirement, or at least the resignation and yeah. struggling to survive financially. Yeah, I can relate. I can. Well, 
we'll close on a happy note in that this is good news. It's good news for all. And uh, as you mentioned uh, earlier that George McDonald said, uh, we have the privilege of being able to share that with other people and tell them the good news. So, and uh, we'll do some more when people, you and I will stay on the line, but uh, people will hear the next interview a week later. And uh, I know they'll all be looking forward to that as I will too. So thanks again for being with us. So you're welcome. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for being with us for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.